My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. It's nice to have a response once in a while. That was nice. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, consistent with last week, I have an obscene amount of content to go over today, and I'm excited to try to do it. So let's jump right in with uh, reading through Philippians chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'm in the CSB. Uh, so Philippians chapter 1. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, <clears throat> so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, 
not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Philippians chapter 1. All right, so last week we left off at page 59 in your green book, so if you want to jump over there. And by way of introduction, today I I hope to cover uh, verses 15, 16, and 17. And there is something structurally significant about verses 15, 16, and 17. So let's, uh, we are in school, so let's go to school for just a second. So this is 15, 16, and 17. So I want to talk about chiasm for just a minute. So chiasm or chiastic structure. Anybody ever heard this term before? Chiasm, chiastic structure? Not a single person. Dave has, thank you. Lisa has, good. I've taught it in here a couple of times, but it's probably been five, six years. So it's been a hot minute. All right, so a chiasm is when, and this is from the Gospel Coalition. They have a beautifully simple, straightforward article on this concept. So a chiasm is when an author communicates using symmetry. So there's some sort of balance, either parallel or contrasting, in the sentence structure itself. So we see Shakespeare actually do this in Hamlet, uh, to be or not to be. You see how the not is in the center, and you have the same on the top and the same on the bottom. And you may have seen this in like your English classes before, but I'm going to specifically lean into this just a little bit. Now, what happens is the author is focusing on the center of the chiasm. The center of the chiastic structure is the thing where everything hinges. Uh, it's actually referred to by the Greek letter chi because everything crosses, and it crosses in the middle. So if we go back, we see obviously the knot is the center. This is the focus. Are we going to focus on life? Or are we going to focus on death? So let's keep moving forward a little bit. Uh, a lot of authors believe, and I, I wholeheartedly uh, adhere to this, that all of redemptive history is chiastic in structure. So if you think about the beginning of time, what did we have? We had a perfect world with a tree and a garden. And you go to Revelation 22, what do you end up with? You end up with a perfect world with a tree and a garden. Right? Okay. Feels like there's some similar, right? This is not accidental. Okay. What do you get? You get the fall gets you into the problem. Redemption gets you out of the problem. Who is the resolution between the fall and redemption? Jesus. Do you see how this structure revolves around and focuses on Christ in the center? Now, is anybody's mind just like completely broken at this point and you need a second? Because you've never thought about, you were in the, we are in the middle of a chiastic structure for all of human history. So just like, cool. <laughs> all right, so we'll keep going. It's, it's a lot, right? It's, it's quite a bit. Now, so w- one, more, one more thing here is that these are sometimes called ring structures because you, you end up where you started. Right? So you're going to end up kind of back where you started. Now, these are prevalent all through literature. I'll specifically show you, this is uh, Milton's uh, Paradise Lost. Anybody read Paradise Lost? 10,000 lines of verse, right? You're like parts of it. This is how most of Thank you. I see that hand. Um, yeah, it, it's 12 different books of literature, 10,000 lines. I mean, it's just, it's massive. But the structure itself is chiastic. So the yellow lines go together, the pink lines go together, the blue lines go together. So you see you get into and then you come out of. And it's parallel, it's consistent, you see how these things, even the length, I don't know if you noticed this or not, 
the first three books, the last three books, the next book, the next book, two books, two books. It's even consistent in like the great authors were doing this on purpose. This is not, oh, look at there, what we did. This was a neat accident. Like, no, they are helping the reader to see the larger theme of their works so that they can retell them and recall them. And this is not just stuck in with non-canonical sources. Moses did this. When Moses wrote the narrative of the flood, uh, he starts off with Noah and his sons, life on earth, curse on earth. This is Genesis chapter 6. We fast forward a couple of chapters. He ends with Noah and his sons, all life on earth, blessing on the earth. So we move from the curse to the blessing. You see the flood is announced. There's no flood in the future. We see the ark. We see the ark. We see all living creatures. We see all living creatures. We see food. We see food. You work your way in, you work your way out with consistent structures. Now, do you notice that this is chapter 9, this is chapter 6? There's more as you continue to work in, as you continue to work out. The very center is God remembers Noah. That's the point of the flood narrative. Like the author puts in the middle what the significant item actually is. You with me so far? Does this make sense? Is your head hurting yet? <laughs> Barry Cole taught this, I think, 13 years ago in this room. I was sitting right over there. He showed this chiastic structure for the flood. I have no idea what he said for the next 40 minutes because I was like, that can't possibly be true. How have I never seen or heard anything like this? And my head just exploded. It was wonderful. It was really cool. So uh, this is what... Uh, Philippians 1, 15 through 17 looks like sort of kind of in the original. Like this is modified just a bit. I put some verse, verse numbers in here for you. But is, does anybody want to make a comment about this? Thank you very much. All right, great. I just wanted to get it out of our system. Ryan's Greek to us. Yes, it is literally Greek. This is what Koine Greek looks like. Uh, I want to point out a couple of things. This is the Greek word tis. Uh, tis uh, shows up again here. Uh, this is the Greek word ha. Uh, and hot shows up again here. So I'm going to arrange this just a little bit differently. So we got tis starts the first two pieces of the chiastic structure. Ha works us out of the two pieces of the chiastic structure. Let's put it into English. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Come down here. This is the similar pe people group we are talking about. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Think they'll cause me trouble in my imprisonment. These are the bad guys. These are the good guys. But others out of goodwill, these preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The challenge here is that our versification, where the people who put the verse numbers, put the verse numbers, make this super awkward. Because this is a legitimate sentence. A and B are is one legitimate sentence. But it's two different topics. And then... B prime and A prime is one legitimate sentence, but it's two different topics. And some Bibles will actually rearrange this to put A and A prime together and B and B prime together because it's actually easier to remember, but that misses the point that Paul is trying to make. Which of these two people groups, based on what you now know about chiasm, is Paul focusing on the most? 
the faithful, right? The faithful. So I said all of that to say, yes, there's some bad guy stuff in here, but it's not technically the point. You with me? All right. Some of y'all are like, what in the world just happened? Somewhere Jen Wilkin is smiling because what we just talked about is not a literal reading of scripture. It is a literate reading of scripture. Who is the author of scripture? Holy Spirit. Who, who ordained this structure? The Holy Spirit. Now, did he use Paul's vast knowledge of all things Hebrew poetry, of all things structure? Of it? Absolutely. But don't miss this. The spirit of the living God said this was the right way to show this information. And God help us if we are ignorant of what the spirit is up to. So when we lean into these very kind of heady academic things every once in a while, it's okay. The Spirit put it there. Maybe we ought to be aware of it. Does that make sense? You with me? Excellent. All right. I tried to find a picture of her scowling on the internet. Be like literate, not literal. <laughs> I couldn't find one of her scowling. So, uh, all right, Dave, I'm going to give this back to you. I will forget to move PowerPoint forward for the rest of the time. You hear that? See how fast I am? The wind rushing through the mic so fast. <laughs> He's been watching us walk, right? That's crazy. <laughs> oh, me. All right, so let's go. If you're on page 59 of your green books, let's start with verse 15. So is this, are we starting with the, the good guys or the bad guys? Starting with the bad guys, right? So to be sure, to be sure, some. Now, some is what kind of word? What part of speech is some? It's in your green book. It's a what? It's a pronoun, yes. It's an indefinite pronoun. So pronouns refer to what? People, places, or things. Exactly. Very good. So uh, what is this pronoun referring to? Pronouns typically refer to something that's come before. So what's the noun it's referring to before? Let's look in verse 14. What's your most recent noun? You're like, you're going to make me think today? Yep. What people group? Brothers. 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 Not pagans. Brothers. You're like, whoop, time out. Brothers, it's a pronoun. Pronouns have to refer back to something. So let's look at our first quote today from Martin Hawthorne. Although he regrets their motives, he does not reject them. What are they fundamentally preaching? Christ. Doing it out of envy and rivalry, but they are preaching Christ. Like, exactly. That, mm, what? Tell me more about this, right? 
So does, does Paul give us any information about who specifically these people are? Like what group do they come from? What, what sect are they in? They're like, mm, no. And really no matter, no matter how bad we feel about it, this is not the answer that scripture gives us because uh, I have in my notes here, often scripture is not interested in answering our questions and we must be okay with this. Come on now. Come on now. I wasn't going to land there. I figured somebody would just bring it up. I didn't have it in my notes. I was like, somebody's going to bring this up. Yes. They... Absolutely. Preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, right? Absolutely. Um, I don't have this one in the PowerPoint, but Hellerman says this. Paul did not feel compelled to explain. His primary concern was to assure the readers of the progress of the gospel. Right. Paul's about the advancement of the gospel, and this is what he is going for. Yes, ma'am? You said we must be okay with it, but I think that Must be okay with what? With the scripture not answering that question. Yes, yes. But I think we need to go a little further and have faith in the Holy Spirit to be working in that. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So the Spirit wrote exactly what uh, the Father desired, and uh, God, all persons of the Trinity, will go and work this together for the Trinity's good, and yes, we should, we should absolutely have confidence and faith in that. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. So, uh, so to be sure, some preach. You're like, preach? Well, is this some kind of special wonky word for preach that's like slanted in J? Nope, it's a good word for preach. It's a fancy word for preach, uh, Caruso. Uh, it's a present active indicative, so this is something that's being repeatedly occurring right now. It's a statement of fact. And uh, how many times does this word show up in Philippians? How many times does it show up in Philippians? Yeah, once. 60 times in the New Testament. The NA28 is the New Testament. Only once in Philippians. So is Philippians about preaching? Probably not. If it is, it's a, it's a lousy way to focus on it by not talking about it. Right? This is not the point of Philippians. The point of Philippians is the gospel is going forth, how to have joy in all sorts of situations. So, so to be sure, some preach Christ. This should be the object. This is the right object of our preaching. So a couple of applications and personalizations at the bottom of this page. So application number one, believers' motives can differ. We will have some that preach Christ from right motives. We will have some that preach Christ from terrible motives. So what do we do with that? Recognize it. Paul pointed it out, right? Just recognize it. So believers' motives can differ, so what do we do with that? Recognize it. Application number two there, Christ is the object of a Christian sermon. Christ is the object of a Christian sermon. If you hear a sermon and there is no Christ, I hesitate to call that a sermon. It might be a lecture, a topical discussion about some concept, could be even a neat book study. But Christian sermons proclaim Christ. So what do we do with that? Preach Christ. It's really simple. <laughs> really, really simple stuff. So some, it's in our own page 60 in your green book. So some preach 
So to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Do those sound like words that should mark the life of a believer? You're like, I don't think so. You were popping your neck. I thought it was like, nope, not doing that. I do that when when somebody in in the auditorium says something funny and every once in a while they'll look at me and I'm like, I don't know about that. So, not sure. Yeah, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Let's look at this word, uh, envy. Uh, This is an impossible word for me to say. Uh, I spit a lot when I say it, so I'm going to back up from the microphone. Uh, Phonetically, it's thronus. P-H-T-H. My mouth doesn't do that. So... If you want it correctly, you have to Google it. So this word is concerned more to deprive another of a desired thing than to gain it. This is not, I want what you want, Zeke. This is, I don't want you to have what you have. Like, that's a whole different kind of just, uh, come on, come on, right? This, is, this involves... Sadness when good things happen to others. Joy at the evils they experience. Thus the opposite of rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Jesus was actually delivered over to Pilate through phonos. Like this was the Greek word that was used in Matthew 27. Like this is the envy because those that didn't like him, were actually envious of him. They didn't want him to have what he had. So it's not just envy, it's also rivalry. So this word means a quarrel or wrangling. This is just, I, I like to fight. You can think about it as I like to fight. And when we find ourselves around believers who like to fight, this is not good. We should not be marked as people who like to fight. All right. So Hansen's got a great uh, quote here. He says, Envy and rivalry are works of the flesh that Paul lists in Galatians 5, 20 and 21, and evidence of a depraved mind, Romans 1, 28, 29. You might be thinking, well, that makes them unbelievers, right? You ever sinned? Have you ever sinned since you became a Christian? Yes. Do you have days where it's uglier than other days? Yes, me too. Out of envy and rivalry, but others. What, what part of speech is that word others? It's another indefinite pronoun. What's it referring back to? Those brothers still, right? Right? This is plural again, so there'll be plural here too. But others, so a couple applications and personalizations at the bottom here. Uh, Sinful motives do not stop the gospel. Let me say it a different way. God uses sinners. (laughs) Even when we desire something sinful while doing something that is good. And I am grateful that God uses sinners because that's really all he's got to work with. So (laughs) it's not as if there's another pool of like, oh, well, let's use the non-sinner humans. It's like, well, he he, there was one and he did. (laughs) Right. So good. So what do we do with that? I would say rejoice. 
rejoice that, that we can't thwart the advancement of the gospel, even when I want to do it in the wrong way. You're like, well, that's a weird thing to rejoice over. I'm rejoicing in the powerful nature of our Father, that his will will be done. And then application number two is this is the second others here. Not all believers always have sinful motives. Not all believers always have sinful motives. There are times where we actually get it right. Yes, this is good. So what do we do with that? We rejoice, right? This is good. This is what Paul's about to do here in just a second. He's about to go off on a rejoicing like tirade. So I'm just priming the pump for rejoicing at this point. Okay. So, but others out of good will. This is satisfaction or delight or kindness. Uh, this is, is wishing positive. Verse 16, these preach. Now, the Greek word preach, the Greek word for preach is not here. But if you don't add it in the English, this sentence gets extremely complicated to follow grammatically. Like, really, really complicated. So our English translators have, almost in all translations, they add the word preach here. Some italicize it, some don't. Uh, But if you hadn't figured this out already, Paul's sentence structure is rather complex. So we have to do things to help us in the translation process follow along exactly what Paul is saying and adding a word once in a while that borrows from the exact word that we saw before is very helpful. So these preach out of love. What kind of, what kind of word for love is that? Agape, right? Knowing, this is a perfect active participle. Now this is a goofy one. We don't see too many perfect active participles. So perfect means this is something that was completed in the past with the results that are continuing. And an active participle is this like habit behavior type thing. So this is something that impacted us in the past that is changing our current habits right now. Like, whoa, that's complicated. Yes, it is. I love Greek. It's amazing. Now, have we seen, have we seen this love and knowledge concept come up before in Philippians? We have. Yeah, back a few verses earlier, right? Let's look at this next quote from Hanson. In his prayer for the Philippians, Paul asks that their love may abound more and more in knowledge. Right? Let's keep going. Now we see an illustration of the way that knowledge increases and guides love. The knowledge increases and guides love in the proclaiming of who? Christ. Right? This is not the proclaiming of Paul is great. We should love him because he's in prison. Paul was pretty cool and we should love him if he's in prison. But the message is about Christ. Does this make sense? You see how Paul sets them up and then gives them an example and uses a structure that helps them lean in on exactly what the focus is and all of that points back to the concept of preaching Christ and exalting Christ's name. And he's doing this on purpose. So if you ever thought or if you ever heard somebody say, yes, Paul was just firing off letters right and left and da 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 No. This was well thought out. This was planned. I, I might even go as far as to say this might not have been like draft number one. I don't want to press too far into that, but 
This is an incredibly complex structure to help us understand some really amazing things. So what do we do with that? Application at the bottom, love is the right motive. Seems pretty straightforward. Love is the right motive. So what do we do with that? We examine our motives and look for evidence of love. Examine our motives and look for evidence of love. So love is the right motive, and what do we do with that? Examine our motives and look for evidence of love. So page 61, so these preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now, Paul is going to start doing some, I could almost call it cute, but it's a little bit of a head nod to something that's going on that we completely and totally miss in the English because there's no English way to translate this. Like there's not a good word that means appointed because that's a really well translated word. The challenge that we have is Martin and Hawthorne bring this out. This word for appointed has a military connotation, like a soldier posted on duty. Where's Paul? In prison. Who's chained next to him? Soldiers posted on... Like, come on, dude. Like, I... There's no way to translate this in English where this comes through. Come on, there you go. It's exactly right. It's a little Rome. There's thousands of retired Roman soldiers in this retirement community of Philippi. So they're in the midst of soldiers who used to be posted on duty. Yes, thank you. I thought that would not be lost on readers in a Roman colony. He actually figures. Yes, there you go. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right, so let's do look at one more. Martin's got a good quote here. In prison, uh, he is enduring hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he writes about this in 2 Timothy, and as much on duty as the guards posted to him, watch over him, are on duty in the service of Rome. So Paul is doing, again, what he has commanded in other places. So he is appointed for the defense, for the apologia. This does not mean an apology. This means a defense or an argument to respond to something logically. The defense of the gospel. Did it say the defense of the gospels? No, it's singular. That singular is really important there. Like there's, there's one gospel, and it's pointing to one Savior, and he is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So an application from this is that uh, some are appointed for the defense of the gospel. Did, did Paul tell them, you are all appointed for the defense of the gospel? No, he said, he said, I am. Like, I'm appointed for that. So some are appointed for the defense of the gospel. Do you know anybody in your life that feels like they feel like they were appointed for the defense of the gospel? I've got a friend named Brian. He's written some stuff and done, I don't know how many Facebook videos at this point, but it seems like 40 million. Uh, feel like he's appointed for the defense of the gospel. It's pretty cool. So what do we do? What did the Philippians do with Paul? Encourage and support them. Encourage and support them. You think it might ever get lonely? Defending the gospel, regularly coming into conflict with those who oppose, with those who say, no, 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 Jesus is not Lord, Caesar is Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Might need some encouragement, might need some support. So let's do that. 
So Paul's appointed for the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, verse 17. So we come back into big tone shift now. Do you have a question? Okay, big tone shift now. So we're coming back into the other side of the chiasm. We're back to A prime. So verse 17, the others, so we're back on the, the they're brothers. We're still brothers, right? These brothers proclaim, this is katagelo. This is a present active indicative. This is currently right now. This is a statement of fact. They're doing this. They proclaim Christ. They preach Christ. Out of selfish ambition. Now, there is a book that I use uh, two times a month, probably. It's probably 1,200 pages long. I don't like to get it out because it's on the bottom shelf. And it's crazy heavy, and the font's really small. And you ha I have to pull out my Greek alphabet to remember exactly where it is because the index is in Greek, and the words are arranged in order mostly, not everyone, uh, in the order of the Greek alphabet. And it's called the BDAG. It looks like this. This is what it's known as. Uh, it's called the BDAG because uh, Bauer, uh, Danker, and then two others because it's easier to say than the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature. Like, I, they needed a better publisher than that, right? It's crazy. So basically what they did is they looked at all the words in the Greek New Testament, and then they looked at all of the literature, the Greek literature at that time, and they said, how were each one of these words used in the vernacular, in the common literature of that time? And they wrote a book on that. So they are generally regarded as one of the top two or three resources to use for like when a, when a person on the street would have heard this word, what would they have heard? So this is the definition. So this is the only time it's used, this word is used is in the, uh, before the New Testament time was in Aristotle. Aristotle used it when he wrote his, uh, his work on politics where it denotes a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. Did Paul hold an office? He's a Pharisee. He was also a what? He was an apostle. This word might be, this selfish ambition might be non-apostles who wanted the role of an apostle in the church. Have you ever been around somebody who didn't have a title in a church who when said one? Yes, we're not taking examples at this time. Um, <laughs> we're going to turn the page. So the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. This word is, means intrigue or faction. It's also used in Philippians 2, 3. Not sincerely, not honestly, not purely. This is the opposite of that word a couple of weeks ago when we talked about it. We, sh we came out and we showed it in the sunlight and we examined it and it was, we, we got to see it clearly. This is, this is not sincerely, not, not honestly. Thinking. You, you see this word thinking? The good brothers who were proclaiming Christ, they what? They knew. The brothers who are proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition think. There is a distinct difference between these two. Right? You know 
what you're doing and why you're doing it versus you think that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. They imagine is another way you can translate this, that they will cause, that they will rouse or waken from sleep or from death. This word most commonly in the New Testament is used of the resurrection, which I think is a funny way that Paul would use it here. They think that they will cause me trouble. This word means pressure. What does Paul have on his hands and on his legs? Chains. The chains are causing the pressure. He doesn't need more from believers. But I don't think he's getting more from believers because he says they thought, they think they'll cause me trouble in my imprisonment, which implies they are in fact not doing what? Not causing trouble in his imprisonment. Right? Paul is actually rejoicing. He's going to go crazy here in just a second, rejoicing over the fact that Christ is proclaimed. <laughs> You're jealous of my position, and I'm thrilled that Christ is being proclaimed. <laughs> what a win for the gospel. It's incredible, right? What a beautiful way to not get bogged down in bitterness back at someone. You know, the easiest response when bitterness towards you is, right, it's bitterness back. It's anger back. And Paul doesn't go there. He goes toward, let's go rejoice. So, bottom of page 64, one application, one personalization, then we're done. Uh, some believers desire trouble for other believers. And I hate that. I really do. Some believers desire trouble for other believers. I sent this to Brian and Patrick yesterday looking for a better personalization that I came up with. They both agreed. They thought this one was good. Here's my personalization. Don't do that. <laughs> I, I just, nope, don't do that. <laughs> Especially those who are, who are appointed for the defense of the gospel. We need encouragement. We need support. We need love in the knowledge of the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not well, I hope to add pressure to so-and-so's life. Come on. Come on. Ain't nobody got time for that. All right. So that's verse 15 through 17. Two weeks in a row, Dave. Three verses. This pace, like we're going to have to slow down and pump the brakes here just a little bit. Like this is way too fast. So that was a joke. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up with verse 18. Uh, and we'll talk about why I split it there, but uh, most commentators would not. So we'll, uh, we'll pick up with verse 18. Um, oh, oh, there's one more quote. There was one more quote. Yes, there we go. We would like to have more description of these envious preachers to confirm our correct or correct our imagination. Don't go yet. W wouldn't you like to know just like, just tell me just a bit more so we know how to spot them. Uh, we know what to, like, come on, just a little bit more, Paul. Yeah, but... Um, we already have more than enough description to challenge our own motivation in preaching. That's my two by four to my face uh, as we go and do this. So thank you, Dr. Hansen. That was helpful. All right, so that's the lesson for today. You should have a weekly update at your table. If you would, make sure your name's at the bottom. Uh, pray as a group over any one or two or all of those sections. And when you're finished, you are free to go and to worship this one who we should rejoice when his gospel is proclaimed, no matter what the motive, 
but let's have good motives doing this, right? We get to pick. Let's have good motives doing this. So thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.